Good morning, Oceanside Church. Uh, what a privilege it is to be with each and every one of you this morning via the web. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Wes, and my wife Becca and myself are part of the eldership team here uh, at Oceanside Church. And it's a real privilege for us to be sharing this morning. And it's also the last week for us as a community to be strictly uh, virtual. But I'm just honored to be um, sharing this morning about something that I feel God is prompting on my heart. And I trust that God is going to speak to you amidst the chaos of my notes and my thoughts, uh, that he would just give you some clear um, things that are out of his word that are going to change your heart and change my heart as we read through some of the scriptures today. Um, What I want to speak on this morning is actually in the area of faith. I feel um, challenged myself in this, and I've just titled it, Our Great Response to a Gracious God. And um, before I jump in, I want to quote Martin Luther. I've just been obviously thinking like so many of us about some of the craziness that's going on uh, in our nation and in the States and around the world. Um, And just thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, it's such a privilege to be a part of, of a community that is so represented by people from all over the world, every tribe and tongue. And um, and just to think that God has blessed us, you know, and God has brought us together. And let's remember that. Let's remember um, the, the blessing that it is for us as a community to be together, um, to be able to lay aside all the things that make us different and celebrate those things and also to celebrate all the things that bring us together, uh, which is all built around Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so uh, if you are someone who has been affected by the things that have gone on, I just want to say that our hearts are with you as a community. Uh, We want to hear from you. We want to connect with you. We want to know more about what's going on, what you're going through. And we just want to say how much we love you. And so this morning as I'm sharing, I just want to say that I'm also thinking about each and every one of you uh, in this as well. Um, Martin Luther says this, he says, There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. Um, I, I, I just, I can't shake the story of Abraham and how God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. And it, and it reminds me of that Luther quote, because it's, it's one of those things where morally it would seem like it made no sense. God was asking a man, a father, to kill his son. And yet God was using it as an opportunity to capture Abraham's heart. And I just want to, each and every one of us this morning, to consider um, this concept of faith and the reality of faith in our lives um, through the simple story that Jesus shared in um, in this amazing parable about the two lost sons. And, I, and I, it seems to me like in this story, there was one son who obsessed with breaking away from tradition, and, and he was sort of on a quest for self-discovery. And at the same time, he had an older brother who was obsessed with keeping tradition because he was on this sort of journey of trying to have a um, very moral way of doing life. He was, he was all about moral conformity, bending his will and his ways to the traditions of man. And it seems to me that both approaches in the end were very wrong because they both led to isolation and separation from the father. And yet in this story, we find that the father is still chasing after both sons, trying to draw them back into his heart and into his home. So this morning, as we speak on faith, I want to speak about faith uh, through the lens of nearness, because I feel mostly challenged for myself in that area. 
And of course, we know that faith is not about having all the answers. Um, it's not about making all the big moves. But more than anything, from what I see in Scripture and some of the heroes of our faith that we find in Hebrews 11, it was more about a heart nearness to the one who is the faith giver, which is Jesus Christ. And I've often found myself distracted in the realities of earthly living. I don't know about you, but they're so easy for me to default into just doing and doing and trying to make things happen and get things done. And I just feel challenged by God. It's been such an interesting journey over the last while, these last few months. You know, we had this sort of, I know for myself and my family, we had this crazy pace that we were pushing in a lot of areas. And, um, and it just, it was like, the corona outbreak just forced me to stop and it forced our family to stop and it highlighted some beautiful things for us. And I just had myself thinking that, God, I want to be so near you. I want to get back to that nearness where things are simple. Things are not complicated. I could hear your voice in a beautiful way. And I just feel like God was calling me to declutter. I don't know about you. And so in that light, I'm sort of reading some of these things. But I want to start by um, reading out of Hebrews 11, the famous faith chapter that we all know oh so well. It says that, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I love what the, how the message puts it. It says this, By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. After all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. I often thought like Cain and Abel and, you know, maybe Cain brought this much and Abel brought this much and God said, oh man, that's the guy. Like, look, look how much he's bringing me. But it's amazing to me when I read that, it, it doesn't specify the quantity because I don't think the faith and the sacrifice was based on the quantity of the sacrifice. But instead, it seems to me that it was about the openness of Abel's heart that got God's attention and got his affection. And when I look at the story of David, uh, in, it's so similar to me, uh, 2 Samuel 24. You know, it's, it's sort of the last story that we find in Samuel when accounting about David's life. And we all know about Goliath and Bathsheba, and we all know these highs and lows in David's life. But it's interesting how the, his life is summed up in this passage. And in verse 18, uh, it says this, And Gad came that day to David, and said to him, I know I sounded American there, and Gad, but it's, it's G-A-D, Gad. Um, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And so David went up at Gad's word as the Lord had commanded. And when Arana looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why has my Lord, the king, come to his servant?" And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Now the story goes that basically what happened is David was doing a census. He was basically counting who he had and it was literally a direct violation of what God had asked him to do. It was like he was doing this thing because he wanted to know just where he was at with his population, his fighters, all these kinds of things. 
And his, one of his own men, before he went on the mission to go count, he said, why are you doing this? This is not what God has asked you to do. And still David pushed through with it. Then Arana said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord God accept you. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. What I see here is that David has a screw up and then David has a sacrifice. I love what the message says there. It says, I'm not going to offer God, my God, sacrifices that are no sacrifices. I think it's amazing to me that this is something that took place at the end of David's life. I would, I would almost so easily hone in on um, the sacrifice and like, oh, it's a sacrifice. It's something that he gave. It's, it's almost like sacrifice with a capital S. But it's interesting that the story ends that God responds to his prayers and his petitions. And I think what was happening in this story is that David was taking a census of his people because for whatever reason, his, his um, trust had shifted, maybe. You know, he had, he had it, it could have been anything, but it could have been um, the lack of time that he was spending with God. He could have just grown weary in his faith, whatever it is. But, but in this thing, he commands this census. And at the end of it, even though he makes his sacrifices and all these good things, and he understands that he wants to give God something that really costs him something, because that's how we express love, is that um, God answers his prayers and his petitions. And I think what I can see happening here is that actually God is, God is seeing David's heart reopen to him. He was having big screw-ups in his life, and yet God is still speaking to him and still drawing him in by his heart. And that's the beautiful thing about what's going on. When I, when I read the passage, I have to think that David's sin was actually a sin of the heart. It was a lack of trusting God, and God was simply bringing him back into that intimate, trusting relationship with him. It's the heart that David expresses in Psalm 20. It was like right after or during one of the battles that took place. When he wrote, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Faith did not mean perfection or even victory, but simply a heart that was open and trusting God amidst the chaos of bad choices and personal discrepancies. Hebrews 11.6 tells us this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, when I think about faith, it's not a capital F, it's a capital G. Faith simply acknowledges what has already been made available to us through grace. And grace is a person, his name is Jesus. You see, my faith, if I think about my faith, my faith, it'll always exalt the man. 
But when I think about His grace, His grace, His grace, it always exalts the man, the person of Jesus Christ. But what I find interesting when we look at Abraham, Moses, Isaac, we look at all the people that are identified in this passage in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, I see a a direct correlation between the people who were remembered for their faith in God and the deep, intimate relationship that they had with God. When we see, it says, Abel received a good report that he was righteous, right? That was, that was Abel. Abel was righteous. And we see that Enoch pleased God. And we see that both of them, it's accounted for that they walked with God. Noah, that he walked with God. Abraham, that he was a friend of God. And David, that he was a man after God's own heart. Hebrews 11.26 says this, that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he looked to his reward. And I think about Moses and what was the cry of Moses' heart when he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He said, God, unless you go with us, how will they know that we are your people? And his cry was answered when God said to him, I will be with you. And he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I think for myself, the, the challenge of this faith journey is living a life of rest, is living in God's presence, is living in that intimacy of him. You know, David had his Goliaths. And David had his Bathshebas. And David had his um, epidemic, pandemic, crazy, bad decision-making, sinful moments. But I'll tell you what, is David had intimacy with God. And it's remembered of him, at least in God's eyes, that he was a man after God's own heart. And if I can just close with this, in Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled and clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day appearing. Can I just say, living a life of faith I'm realizing more and more, is not so much in the big moments, but in the simple day-to-day moments. I feel challenged. I feel feel challenged in the area of um, every day I have an opportunity and you have an opportunity to turn towards the things that God has put in our lives. I feel challenged in this area greatly because I know that God has gifted me with a beautiful wife. He's gifted me with a beautiful family. He's gifted me with a wonderful, amazing church community and and a team. And I just feel so encouraged in God that he's reminding me about the simple things that you and I can do, which is simply turning towards the things, first and foremost, turning towards God, and secondly, turning towards the things that he's put in our lives that we can cultivate and see grow. It was Paul who said, it's Paul who plants and Apollos who waters, but it's God who makes it grow.
And God has called you and he's called me into amazing things. And even as we are involved in this ever-evolving journey of our community coming back together, of our nation changing regulations, and us becoming um, a community again in real life, can I just say that God is reminding us the mission that he's put in front of us? Because it was Jesus who has called us. It was Jesus who has commissioned us. And it was Jesus who, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And I just want to say this morning is that Jesus is the answer for everything that's going on in our world, for everything that's going on with all the craziness that's happening. But he's called us as faith-filled believers to step into what he's called us into. He's called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be his representation to a dying world. And I just pray this morning, God, that you would speak to us deeply in our hearts, Lord. I thank you that you are the God of the Great Commission, and you also are the God of the Great Recommission. Lord, when we've lost our way, you are the one who brings us back. You are the one who um, reminds us of who we are in you, who reminds us of what we've been called to, who reminds us of the greatness that we have and the inheritance that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, I just pray, Father, that your presence would go with us tangibly, Lord, where we've maybe lost our way. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us anew. Lord, I pray that your presence, even now as people are watching this, Lord, that we would not be surprised, Lord, that your presence would rest on people all over our city and the world right now in Jesus' name. Lord, your presence, your tangible presence, Lord, I thank you that hope and faith would rise in us as we spend time in your presence, Lord, as we spend time seeking your face, Lord, and not just your hand. Lord, I pray that faith would rise in our hearts, Lord, that we would know the hope to which we have called, that you have called us in Jesus' name. Lord, we are excited for our future, Lord. We open our eyes to our future. And Lord, we just say, have your way. Lord, have our gaze, capture our hearts. We want to see you move in power in our city and in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.